Hi, this is Marian Samuel from the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse in Antigua. Every Wednesday at 12.30 p.m., we interview a guest about real-life issues from the Caribbean. Welcome to Lighthouse Conversations, a time to explore the issues surrounding your everyday existence, your family, your community, your environment, your health and safety habits, your lifestyle, both physically and spiritually, will all be discussed here on Lighthouse Conversations. Let's get started and see just what we can learn to better your life. I'm Nathan Owens, and welcome to another episode of Lighthouse Conversations. In this episode, we will be talking about the do's and the don'ts of camping on offshore islands. To educate us on these camping practices, we will be talking with Miss Natalia Lawrence. Ms. Natalia works with the Environmental Awareness Group as the coordinator of the Offshore Islands Conservation Program. Natalia, welcome back to Lighthouse Conversations. Thank you for having me again. This weekend is one of those weekends that we all look forward to, a three-day holiday weekend as Monday is Whit Monday. And that means that many people are going to be taking day trips or overnight camping trips to offshore islands surrounding Antigua and Barbuda. That's correct. We like to get away from the hustle and bustle, and as soon as we get a long weekend, it's straight to the offshore islands because there, there's no traffic, there are no loud parties, you know, nothing like that. You're just there with nature and your friends and your family. Natalia, what are some of those more common camping destinations? Well, we have Great Bird Island, which is commonly known as Bird Island. That is the, one of the go-to spots. And then we have Maiden Island and Green Island. So Green is the biggest one, and those three are the most, I would say, the most heavily visited of all. And we have about 30-something offshore islands. They range from being as big as um, Guiana Island, which is 200-and-something hectares, tiny little rocks so we have a wide array and some people will go to some lesser known spots but those three that I mentioned are the top spots Do I have to get permission from the government or EAG in order to camp on those islands? Actually those three islands are privately owned and um, in the past people have not gotten permission Um, I think Great Bird Island is pretty accessible so people would just go there. Green is more regulated, but it's also, they're all privately owned. Um, but generally, people that go there, they stay on the beaches and they don't necessarily get permission. It's been a cultural practice for us to go to the offshore islands. Some of them are government owned, but most are actually privately owned. Now, I'm not really going to the island for that long, Natalia. So does it really matter what I do or what I don't do while I'm camping? Aren't you kind of exaggerating things? Okay, no. So our offshore islands are not only a getaway for us because we've culturally used them all throughout the years, 
But because of what happens on the mainland, well, people, when they think of Antiguan Barbuda, they don't necessarily think wildlife, like rare and unique species. But we do have animals, plants and animals that are found nowhere else in the world. And due to what's happening on the mainland, development and loss of habitat and introduction of invasive species like rats and mongooses are also islands are really, really precious because they are, we consider them the last refuge for plants and animals that are quite unique to us. So we implore people when you go there, don't think of it just as your spot for the day, but think of all the animals and plants that are actually there that have run away from us, you know, because <laughs> you've had detrimental impacts on them. And think of your attitude on the islands because we, we don't really realize it, but we can, by our actions, we could be disrupting an, an animal's breeding process or mating process or something, you know. We could also, you said you're not going there for that long, but for those who are there, even for a day, you could chop down an area because you want to light a fire there or you want to put your tent down there. Some of the animals, for example, the birds, they would come off the sea and they would nest in the trees and some of them are what we call sight faithful. faithful. So they would come back to the same tree or the same area every year. And then just for your one, two, three days of pleasure, you would have chopped down a poor little bird's home, you know. What are some of those unique species that you referenced that we have on these islands that may not be found elsewhere in the world? Okay, so the top, top one that would easily come to many people's minds mind is the Antiguan eraser. It is. It used to be the rarest snake in the world. Um, when It was actually rediscovered on Great Bird Island in the ni- early 1990s, and... Um, when it was rediscovered, we only had 50, which is really, really, really sad. And um, we've actually in the past tried to breed them in captivity, provide all the conditions just like they would be on the offshore islands, and it wasn't successful. They thrive best in in their their actual natural habitat. And so that's one of them. That's like our flagship species for conservation because we brought that back from the brink of extinction to now we're over 1,100 snakes. So that's one. And then there's a plant for the people who are interested in plants. Um, it's called a golden talinum. We actually thought it was completely wiped out. And after we had removed invasive species from some of the offshore islands, like great bird and rabbit and redhead, lobster, um, we one time we just discovered the golden talonum with its pretty yellow flower, and we were amazed that it even still existed. So those two just off the top of my head, um, I can think of right away. You said there's over 1,100 Antigua racer snakes uh, in the wild now. Yes, that's correct. So what happened? They were rediscovered on Great Bird. They naturally occurred on most of our offshore islands, and they were plentiful on mainland Antigua and also on Barbuda. But what happened was when rats stowed away in the 1700s and they got to Antigua, they didn't have any predators, so they reproduced a mom rat at the beginning of the year that starts to reproduce by the end of the year. She has 15,000 descendants, and imagine having no predator to keep that population down. So then the settlers brought mongooses, which we also didn't have. But the problem was because they had two different cycles. Rats are mostly active in the night and the mongooses in the daytime. They didn't really eat 
um, meet up. So what happened was the rats started to eat a lot of our local vegetation, our plants um, or animals, and so did the mongooses in the daytime. So that's how we nearly lost the snake. Um, actually, I just interject right here. We also used to have our own parrot, um, just like Dominica has theirs, St. Lucia has theirs, St. Vincent has theirs, has theirs. Antigua had our own parrot. We had, I never knew that. Yes, and we had other things. We, it's even recorded that we had mountain chickens, and we don't anymore. Um, but these were completely wiped out because of the introduction of rats and mongooses. Now, we had the races. They were rediscovered on Great Bird Island in the early 1990s, but there were also rats on that island. So what our team did then was to remove the rats from the island, and the population within two years doubled. So remember I told you we had 50 initially, and then within two years we had over 100 snakes. But you know that Great Bird Island is tiny, right. and so it can't support much more than that. You know, after a while, there's too many snakes and too little food, not enough space, so they start to die out. So what we did was also clear other islands that had rats in them and reintroduce the snakes to those islands where they naturally occurred in, in the past. So now we have three additional islands that there are snakes on, and right now we have over 1,100 we still classify them. They're still internationally classified as critically endangered. They're about the fourth most um, endangered snake in the world. But, I mean, that's a positive step for us. It says that in Antigua we're doing something right. And imagine being able to tell other countries that you brought the species back from the brink of extinction. That's pretty cool. Mm -hmm. Just keep them on the island and away from me, okay? Okay, so I would just say right now... <laughs> that the snakes are pretty, pretty cool. I know people, we have this innate fear of snakes, um, even for me sometimes, because we monitor them, and sometimes when I have to capture snakes, if they're too big, if they're too fat, I let somebody else do it. Um, but they are harmless, they are non-venomous, they're non-poisonous, and they're really re relaxed. The only, only thing that they'll do is if they're really agitated when we try to capture them, they will let off a, a really pungent odor that's not that easy to get off. But I mean, after years of handling them, you realize you, you know how the snakes behave and you know how to keep them calm, so that doesn't necessarily happen. And we've had tons of children interact with the snakes. I mean, my son is six, and he's been interacting with snakes since he was about three. So, no fear. No fear. <laughs> <laughs> You're listening to Lighthouse Conversations on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. I'm Nathan Owens, and I have on the phone with me Miss Natalia Lawrence, who works with the EAG. And specifically, she is the coordinator of the Offshore Island Conservation Program. And in this episode, we are talking about the do's and the don'ts of camping when you're on these offshore islands. Let's jump right in with some of the do's, Natalia. Okay, so for the do's, on, when you're on the offshore islands and you get to be there, you're camping, so you get to be there at the best time to see some things that you will not see on the mainland. So do take lots of pictures, and if you see anything out of the ordinary, let us know. Because we always, because we actively work to conserve the offshore islands, we want to know that our work is having an impact. 
And so if you see any strange-looking bird, you might see a raptor like an osprey or a peregrine falcon or something, or rare birds like the West Indian whistling duck. If you see those, you can take down the numbers that you see, and even better, if you can get pictures to show us, that would be fantastic. Um, other do's, just keep, if you see any plants that you don't normally see there, take note of that. Always take pictures. And if you see any plants that should not be there, something that has the potential to, um, how should I put it, um, overtake the natural population of plants over there, also say something. For example, we know of all the positive benefits of neem trees, you know, as insect repellents, and they have a plethora of health benefits, but neem is actually invasive in all parts of the world, and they, they are pretty good at growing up and making sure no other tree grows up around them except a neem tree. So if you happen to see neem on the offshore islands, let us know. Um, those are some of the do's. Oh, and do enjoy yourself. <laughs> do relax and just take up the beauty of our country because a lot of people do not appreciate that Antigua and Barbuda is actually a really beautiful country. What about the don'ts? Okay, so the don'ts. Um, there are simple things that we do and we don't quite think about the impacts. So a lot of people light fires to cook their food and so on. When you out those fires, make sure that you cover the coals really well because think about it this way. If a snake comes on the beach and it slithers through the hot coal, that's not really good for it. Um, so it can get burnt. Also, never leave your fires unattended. It's actually really better not to light fires, but then people have to eat. So because it's so dry right now, it's very dry, um, don't leave your, your fires unattended because, relatively speaking, the islands are tiny and it's very easy for a fire to get out of control. And then, you know, you'd have about 30, almost 30 years of conservation where it can easily go up in smoke. Also, don't, it's unadvisable for you to bring your pets over. Um, we've had instances where people wanted a real camping experience and so they took live chickens with them. Um, and the chickens got away. <laughs> yes. So those chickens could actually wreak a lot of havoc on the wildlife that's trying to be restored on the island. Also, we've had cases where people who own goats want the goats to fatten up, so they take them to the offshore islands and they leave them there. And that's also very bad because, for example, if you followed the story of Redonda from yeah. being a lunar landscape to a very green island it was primarily because we had rats and goats on there you know goats will just eat and eat and eat and eat so things like that don't take your pets over because your dogs run out just recently i was on the Oslo islands and somebody had a great bird and somebody brought their two dogs over and they may not have been there long but imagine taking your dog over and your dog just chases all the wildlife. This is the time right now when the seabirds come off the sea and they nest on the offshore islands. So the disturbance could cause the, the colonies to be flushed. The birds will fly up, the eggs will drop and crack, or the birds leave because we flush them and they leave at the wrong point in time and the eggs get cooked. Um, the chicks if they're newly hatched, they don't have any feathers at all, and they could also get cooked very easily. Um, and also, 
all I, this is a do when you're going to the hospital. Do check your bullets. Do check your gear because you don't want to bring anything that's not supposed to be there. You don't want to be taking over any giant African snail eggs. You don't want to be taking over rats. Um, people think uh, it's just a rat. It's not. It's just one little rat. But remember what I said about how rats reproduce. And every time we have to clear an island of rats, depending on the size of the island, it's a minimum of 50,000 U.S. to do it. And it's not like we have 50,000 U.S. sitting down in the bank. We have to go to our donors and say, this area is really important on a global standpoint, and it's infested with rats and we need to clear it. So can you please give us another fifty dollars to $100,000 to clear it of rats? It's really important for us to check our gear when we go over because we don't want to be taking anything over that's not supposed to be there. You know, we're struggling with giant African snails right now um, that can easily go over in our gear, um, even on our shoes. Um, it's very easy for us to transport things. Like, that's how fire ants got over to the Oslo Island. And then um, we can take seeds. If we have Velcro on our clothing, on our shoes, it's easy for us to take those on our on our clothes. So there's a simple checklist that we always ha- ask people to follow before they go, which is simply to run through your boat, make sure there is nothing hiding. And when I say nothing, I mean rats or mongooses hiding in the boat um, in any small area. Also make sure there's nothing like roaches or spiders or anything like that. I mean, yes, there are roaches and yes, there are spiders on the offshore islands, but basically we are the primary pathway by which anything that is not normally found on the offshore islands get there. We are the pathway by which rats can get to the offshore islands or mongooses or, or different plants. They can also float over on debris or during storms. Or if the island is close enough to the mainland, the rats can swim over. But again, we are the primary reason why things go awry on the offshore islands. So we, it's important for us to be the stewards of our the same environment that gives us our rest and relaxation and that takes care of us. Is it okay, Natalia, to burn or bury my trash? Um, no, we always ask that you take your trash back with you. you um, we don't we don't um, promote burning anything on the island um, and we don't support burying it because it's quite easy for it to be unburied and it's just easier for you to take it back. Normally after long weekends, the offshore islands are, uh, it's a really sad sight because they're pretty little islands and then after we've finished with them, they're not that pretty. Um, they're covered in all sorts of... Um, you can be in an area and tell what these people had for breakfast, lunch, and dinner by the boxes they leave behind. We can tell where they slept because of the articles that they would have left there. We can tell, you know, where they stored their food. They leave the pallets over there. And you think, yeah, this, this, these will biodegrade in time, but different things take a different time to biodegrade. And meantime, in the meantime, other people are using the island. Um, the tour operators always have to go behind us and clean up the islands because we advertise the beauty of our country and that it's not that beautiful after we're done with it, you know? And so it's never okay to bury your trash. Just take it back with you. Use garbage bags, pack everything in a garbage bag. 
it's even better if you separate the garbage into recyclables and non-recyclables and just take it back with you and properly dispose it when you get to the mainland. Even as we talk about burying, we, um, I'd just say that all the offshore islands, there are no facilities on the island, so that is also a cause for concern because people need to relieve themselves. And normally after a long weekend, the islands are quite smelly um, <laughs> and quite hazardous to walk on, off through. And this is where we ask that people bury their waste um, because where you decide to use the bathroom may be where somebody's just casually walking and it's not very healthy or nice for people to be walking through human waste. Um, so that's what we do encourage you to bury. <laughs> <laughs> Do I need to bring my own firewood with me, or oh. is that a, a no-no? Okay, so there are camping stoves that are fairly cheap, um, and then there are also, for, you can bring burn material. It, it, it sounds like I'm supporting lighting fires when I don't actually, um, but you can bring your own material. We've had cases where people cut down the trees on the island, whether to make space for their tents and so on, or their area to stay in, or to light fires. Um, and this is not recommended. And, and in some cases, first of all, the area is a marine reserve. And also, um, some of the plants that would be on the island are protected species. So you're actually, you're probably actually breaking the law by cutting the trees. What is the proper way to out a fire? You were discussing that earlier, but walk me through. I have a campfire and I'm getting ready to leave, what should I do? Um, if possible, take the coal with you. Um, if not, it's easy um, to take the coal with you if it's properly cool, but if not, you can make sure it's properly buried and um, cooled with water. Make sure it's cool because you don't want to be injuring any of the, any of the wildlife. And also people who use cigarettes, they should not indiscriminately just toss the used cigarette into the bushes. I know we just got some good rain, but at the same time, we don't know, you know, the, the plants won't just have recovered just like that, and we don't want to start unnecessary fires or hurt the wildlife. Now, we don't want to hurt the wildlife or the plants, but we also don't want to be hurt by the wildlife or the plants. Are there <laughs> any trees or any wildlife we should keep an eye out for? Okay, so on some of the islands, um, there is the infamous manchineal tree. <laughs> um, by sheltering under it if it rains, by cutting it, by rubbing against it, or, anything, or by even eating the fruit, that's very dangerous for us. Um, but Antigans tend to know what manchineal trees are, um, so just look out for manchineal trees. Those are the only trees I think that could harm us. The cacti on the island, um, when walking through them, be very careful because they can give some bad scrapes. And then there's the nickel bush. The nickel bush is what we get the worry seeds from. Okay. And the nickel bush is infamous because if you get caught in it, it looks really pretty and the thorns look really innocent. But if you walk through it and it grabs hold of you, the more you pull, the more it digs into your skin. So those are pretty dangerous. As for animals on the island, it's quite funny because m many of us are quite afraid of lizards. 
to the ground lizards over there are pretty friendly and pretty big and they tend to come down to the beach when there are people on the beach because they know that where people are there is food so i will say people the lizards are harmless they're just greedy (laughs) (laughs) but they're harmless um i can't think of any animal over there fire ants (laughs) and maybe sand flies but i can't think of any animals the snakes as i said before are completely harmless they if you stumble upon a snake they you general they're generally around you and you don't even know because they're so well camouflaged and they tend to just freeze if they feel your vibrations around them and if you try to catch them they'll escape um well they'll try to um they don't generally well they don't attack people so i can't think of anything the raptors that you might see over there the ospreys and the and the peregrine falcons they um even if they look at you with an evil eye, if you don't look like a fish or a little bird, you should be fine. <laughs> <laughs> what about if I take fruit or vegetables over and let's say I'm eating an orange and I want to spit out the seeds, is that okay? Okay, so a lot of people think it's okay to throw organic material into the bushes. And we say no to that because it's it can be harmful in two ways. Um, it could be it could start growing up on the island and we don't know if it's a species that will outcompete the plants that are already on the island. This one might not be so popular with people because if it's a fruit tree then they see no harm in that, right? But then the other thing is if it's organic material, if for example rats get back onto the island, um well I didn't discuss this before, but part of the way that we check for rats on the island because we always do is we have some installed bait boxes some little black boxes across the island and they have we try to keep them supplied with a blue bait which will be toxic to rats and it we check the boxes and if rats are on the island they should have eaten the bait we would see the rat teeth marks in the bait and the rats should have also left blue droppings it's not a very flavorful bait, um, not that I know how it tastes, but it has a bitterant in it. And um, if you throw organic material into the bushes, that is far more appetizing than a dull blue bait with a bittering agent in it. So the idea is we don't want rats to get on the island, but if they do, we don't want them to reestablish a population and be fed by our organic waste. So that is the primary, primary reason why we tell people, take all of your everything back with you, your seeds, because when Great Bird Island was infested with rats before, the island looked vastly different. Basically, right now, if you sail past the island, especially during the nesting season when you sail past the islands you can tell this island has rats in it this island doesn't you can look on the vegetation it looks completely different you'd see a cloud of birds over one island and no birds at all over the other island you know that there are rats on that one that has no birds and um you just don't want a situation where you have rats re-establishing a population and and changing up what you've tried to bring back. Um, they will, the rats will eat everything. They'll eat the seeds. They'll eat fruits. We have cherry trees on the island. They'll eat the fruits. We've had pictures of 
rats on top of the cactus seeds and the cactus fruits. They eat the barks of the tree, they eat the roots of the tree, and of course they eat all the, the eggs of the lizards and the snakes and the bird eggs and so on. They will eat all of that. So pretty much the island will look completely different. The vegetation will be short, gnarled, small, different. Natalia, is there anything else you'd like to add in closing as far as the do's and the don'ts of camping on offshore islands? Well, for me, growing up in Antigua, I realized I knew very little about my country, and I was I was responsible in that I didn't litter and so on, but I never quite knew of all the work that went into making Antigua and Barbuda special and, you know, to maintain the beauty of the country. So I would just say that anybody who wants to use the Oslo Islands during this long weekend, just to remember all the decades of work that has gone into keeping this place beautiful and healthy so that you can enjoy it and that your children can enjoy it and that their children can enjoy it and do your part simple simple things you know we've gone over a list of things that you can and can't do or shouldn't do and just you know do your part to be responsible to know that you've helped in some way to make sure that this continues to be the way it is Natalia, thank you very much for joining me on Lighthouse Conversations. Thank you so much for having me. (laughs) Thanks for listening in on our conversation. We trust that it was beneficial to you as you continue to develop a more meaningful life. Do you have a topic or a guest you would like us to have a conversation with for a future episode on Lighthouse Conversations? We would love to hear your suggestions. Send us a mail at Caribbean Radio Lighthouse, P.O. Box 1057, St. John's, Antigua, or lighthousebimi at gmail.com. Or give us a call at area code 268-462-1454. Or send us a message via WhatsApp or text at area code 268-782-1454. Thanks for listening. Remember, you can hear Lighthouse Conversations Wednesday at 12.30 p.m. on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. If you're in Antigua, you can listen at 92.3 MHz FM. If you're in the Caribbean, you can listen at 1160 kHz AM or listen online at www.radiolighthouse.org from anywhere in the world. Or you can subscribe to this podcast. Looking forward to having you join us next time. Bye-bye.